The Complete Norse Mythology, adapted by Kevin Crossley Holland, music by Mats Vent, read by Tom Harris. Part 7 The Lay of Harbard A rank of mountains stood behind Thor. Some were like upturned ships, some like unfinished pyramids and monstrous cones with their tops sawn off, and none of them were smiling. Thor strode west over the tundra, and the sun kept pace with him. Then late in the morning, he left the wilderness behind and hurried across scrub and undulating land. So he came to a sound, a swift, deep channel. The air was utterly still there. The sun placed a dazzling hand on the water, and the water seemed barely to move as it moved. On the far bank, a figure sprawled in the midday sun, and his flat-bottomed boat lounged beside him. "'Hey!' bawled Thor, and the water quivered. "'You over there! Are you the ferryman?' The figure stirred and sat up. He cupped his hands. "'Who is that oaf yelling over the water?' "'Ferry me across,' called Thor. "'I'll pay you well from this pannier.' Thor eased his thumbs under the shoulder straps. It's packed out with fine fare, and I've eaten as much as I can already. I had a glut of herrings and a pool of porridge before I set out. The ferryman slowly got to his feet and pulled his hat well down over his head. You're pleased with yourself, aren't you? Ah, if only you knew what lies in store for you. When you near home, you'll hear nothing but moans. Your mother is dead. My mother dead? cried Thor. He screwed up his eyes. He screwed up his whole face. What grief could be greater? Having alarmed and upset the credulous Thor, the ferryman began to insult him. Barefoot, he called scathingly. Beggar's clothes, not even breeches. I doubt if you even have a place you can call your own. Bring over your boat, roared Thor. No need to be afraid. I'll guide you in. Anyhow, whose ferry is that? Now the ferryman took his time. He turned his back on Thor to taunt him and smiled grimly. Whose ferry is that? repeated Thor. Hildolf, the slaughtering wolf, entrusts it to me. He's a great man. He lives on Radzi, the Isle of Council. And he has given me my orders. No pilferers, no horse thieves. Only worthy men and well-known faces. So, said the ferryman, if you want to cross here, tell me your name. I'll tell you, shouted Thor. Though I stand alone, I am Odin's son. I am Mele's brother, Magni's father, strongest of the gods. You, ferryman, you're talking to Thor. The god's words made waves on the sound. They ran straight across the channel and broke at the ferryman's feet. And who are you, I'd like to know, shouted Thor. Tell me your name, ferryman. My name is Harbard. I seldom hide it. Why should you hide it? Or am I talking to an outlaw caught up in some feud? What if you are? retorted the ferryman. Unless I'm fated, I can look after myself against the likes of you. 
Thor clenched his right fist, rubbed it against his beard, and stared at the cold water. You're not worth the trouble of wading across this channel and getting soaked up to the waist. But I'll repay you, you knock-kneed ferryman, when I get across this sound. Harbard put his hands on his hips. Here I stand, and here I'll wait. You've not met my equal since you fought Rungnir. You want to talk about Rungnir, do you? That lolloping giant. Did you know his head is made of stone? And yet I killed him. I laid him out lifeless. And you, Harbard, what were you doing meanwhile? I spent five winters with Fjolvar on the island of Algron. There was plenty to do. There we fought. We sank our shafts into heroes and virgins. Thor rubbed his beard again. How do you win them, your women? They welcomed us with good grace, yes, with high spirits, and they were well advised to do so, for they should no more have escaped us than we can make ropes of sand or dig the bottoms out of valleys. Harbard opened his arms. I was the one they turned to first. I slept with seven sisters, and each one gave me ecstasy. And you, Thor, what were you doing meanwhile? I killed the fierce giant Thiazi and hurled the eyes of Alvadi's son into scalding heaven. They bear witness to my feats. Everyone can see them. And you, Harbard, what were you doing meanwhile? I enticed night riders from their husbands. I wrought Lovecraft with those witches. And that giant, Labard, he was not made of straw. He gave me a magic branch and I whipped his wits off him. So, called Thor, that's how you repay a generous gift. The gray-bearded ferryman shrugged. The oak, he shouted across the shining water, grows strong on shavings from all sides, each man for himself. And you, Thor, what were you doing meanwhile? I journeyed east to Jotunheim. I slaughtered slovenly giant women as they shambled across the fells. If they were still alive, there would be a terrible throng of giants and no men in Midgard. And you, Harbard, what were you doing meanwhile? I was the cause of war in Valand, the land of slaughter. I set princes at each other's throats. I thwarted peace. Thor looked at the ferryman. He listened. His brow was creased in thought. After they've fallen in the fight, shouted Harbard, the nobly born journey to Odin. But Thor, he caters for a great gang of thralls. I see how even-handed you'd be in your gifts of men to the gods, retorted Thor. Not that you've had any say in the matter. Your limbs are strong, but your heart is faint, jeered the ferryman. Such was your fear, you were glad enough once to crawl into a glove, and there you forgot your name. Thunderer, you were so scared Fjallar might hear that you didn't dare fart or sneeze. You womanish ferryman, I'd wipe you straight down to hell if I could reach over the sound. Why bother, said Harbard with a voice like oil. We have no quarrel. And you, Thor, what did you do next? 
Away in the east, I patrolled the bank of the Eving. Svarang's sons tried their luck there. Thor suddenly stopped and in one movement picked up a block of stone and hurled it over the sound. It whirred as it flew. Harbard stepped hurriedly out of the way and the boulder buried itself in the bank beside him. Like that, yelled Thor. They threw boulders. Much good it did them. Then they begged for a truce. And you, Harbard, what were you doing meanwhile? I was in the east, too, and came to a certain understanding. I turned the head of a linen-white maid, and we met in secret. I aroused that lady wearing gold ornaments, and then I enjoyed her. A woman well found, said Thor. I could have done with your help, called Harbard, to hold that white maid down. I wish I'd been with you, shouted Thor eagerly. I'd have been only too ready. And I'd have trusted you, said Harbard evenly, if you were not known for breaking promises. No, called Thor. That's not true. I'm no heel-biter, like an old leather shoe in spring. And you, Thor, what were you doing meanwhile? I was on Hlesi, the island of the sea god. I slew the brides of the berserks. They were depraved serpents. Thor, you brought shame upon your head, said Harbard scathingly, you lady killer. They were more like wolves than women, protested Thor. They attacked my well-trimmed ship and threatened us with iron clubs. The Alfie ran away. And you, Harbard, what were you doing meanwhile? I was one of the hosts that came to Asgard's frontiers to raise our banners and redden our spears. Are you telling me that you meant to fight the gods? I'll give you a little finger ring and then you won't fret, said the ferryman mockingly. It will be a peacemaker between us. Thor was enraged. He kicked at the bank and a hailstorm of grit and pebbles ripped the silken water. He gripped Mjolnir in his huge fist. Where do you dredge up such filthy abuse? I've never heard so foul an insult. I learned it from men, age-old men who live in the hills of home. Thor shook his head in anger and envy. That's a fine name for barrows, hills of home. That's what I call them. And your sharp tongue will be the end of you if I choose to wade across this river, shouted Thor. You will howl more loudly than a wolf if I hit you with this hammer. Harbard replied all the more swiftly. Your wife, Sif, she's doing some entertaining. She has a lover. Keep your strength for him. That would be more to the point. You witless fool, roared Thor. Shut your mouth and keep your stabbing tongue inside it. You're a liar. The ferryman paused and with his one eye peering into the shining water that stops for no man. No, he called. I'm telling the truth. Anyhow, how long you're taking to get home? You'd be well on your way by now if you'd crossed in this boat. You womanish ferryman, you've kept me waiting for much too long. Thor paced up and down the bank of the sound and now swinging round and changing direction, now glaring across the water like a caged animal. The ferryman watched him. I never thought a mere ferryman could detain Asathor. 
Thor's eyes were blazing, and he gave a great bellow that rang round the sky. Here's some advice! Roll your bones straight over, keep your mouth shut, and set down Magni's father on the far bank. Go away, retorted Harbard. I'm not rowing you across. Thor bent over the swift, cold water. He saw himself in it, and saw, too, how the ferryman had toyed with him, and how, for once, his strength was of no use to him. He lifted his head and thrust out his red beard. If you won't ferry me over, he called, at least tell me the way around. Few words, but many miles, replied Harbard. Over stock and over stone. Take the track on your left until you come to Midgard, and there you'll find your mother, Fjordjin. She'll show you the way to the trembling rainbow that brings men to Asgard. Could I get home today? asked Thor. Walk fast, don't rest, and you might be back before sunrise. We've talked long enough, said Thor angrily. You do nothing but mock me. He turned and then looked back over his shoulder. If we ever meet, I'll pay you in full for refusing me this ride. Thor strode away, furious and scorned, and as he went, the jeering laugh of the ferryman followed him. And then Harbard's words. Get lost! Let every evil being have you! The god quickened into the vast gray wasteland. There was a sandstorm in the wilderness. The wind unwound it, a long scarf leading into the lee of the indigo mountains. The Ballad of Svipdag The ghastly rotting smell rose towards him. The cold began to burn him. The darkness reached up to him, and he drew near to the place as dreadful as the worst of fears, the worst of dreams. Even now he did not flinch or falter. Svipdag was swift as light. He reached the gates of Niflheim far under the world and shouted, Grow awake! Wake, wise mother! I stand at the doors of the dead and call on you! Remember before you went to your burial mound. Remember how you told your son to ask for help. Then the seeress, Groa, rose out of her grave and slowly moved to the gates of Niflheim. My only son, she moaned. What did death in life afflicts you? What dire fate makes you call on me who have left the quick world and lie in the mold? My father has married a two-faced woman, Svipdog said. She is working against me. She bids me go where no man can safely go and win the love of Menglad. That road is long, said Groa, and the quest will be long, but love lasts long too. You may achieve your aim if the fates favor you. Then sing strong charms over me, mother. Guard your son if you can. I fear death will ambush me, and I am still young. The first charm I'll sing, Groa replied, is well proven. Rani taught it to Rind. Shrug off whatever sickens you. Depend on your own strength. I'll sing a second time then, in case you are tempted to take the wrong path. The bolts of Urd will be railings to keep you on the right road. Then third, I'll sing in case swollen rivers threaten you. The rivers Horn and Ruth will plunge into Niflheim, 
and the waters will part before you. Then forth I'll sing in case enemies attack you on the gallows way. Your wish will be their desire, and they'll only long for peace. Then fifth I'll sing in case you're fettered and have no freedom of movement. I sing a loosening spell over your thighs, and a lock will spring apart, releasing your limbs. Chains will fall from your ankles. Then sixth I'll sing in case storms at sea go on the rampage in the way no man can. Neither wind nor wave will harm you, and you will have a fair passage. Then seventh, I'll sing in case you freeze in the high rocky mountains. The fatal frost will get no grip on your flesh, and your body will be unharmed. Then eighth, I'll sing you, in case you have taken some dismal track in the darkness. No curse from a dead Christian woman will ever harm you. The ninth I'll sing in case you have to debate with some brute of a giant. Your head will be well stocked with wits, and your mouth with wise words. Now take the road with all of its hidden dangers, and let no evil work against your love. Carry your mother's spells with you, and keep them in your heart. You'll prosper for as long as my words live in you. Then Svipdog turned away from his dead mother, Roa the stone gates of Niflheim. He made his way back up to Midgard and began his search for Menglad through the Nine Worlds. The road was long, and his quest for Menglad seemed longer. One day in Jotunheim, Svipdog came to a massive stronghold girdled by flame and guarded by a giant. "'Who are you?' shouted Svipdog, standing there at the gate. "'What do you want?' retorted the giant. "'What are you looking for?' And why are you on the road at all, wanderer? The giant looked no less unfriendly than he sounded. He dismissed Svipdog with a nod and stuck a thumb over his shoulder. That's your way, anyhow. A dew path through the forest. There's no welcome for weaklings here. Who are you? repeated Svipdog, standing there at the gate turning away travelers. Nobody is going to welcome you with outstretched arms, replied the giant. You do best to go home. My name is Fjordsvid, and I'm known for my wisdom. But I don't throw food around. You'll never get a foothold in this hall. You'll leave as you've come, ravenous as a wolf. Svipdog shook his head. Few men turn their backs when they mean to set eyes on their loved ones. The gates of this golden hall are gleaming. I mean to make my home here. Who is your father then? asks Fjordsvid. And what is your ancestry? My name is Dvinkald, said Svipdag. I'm the son of Varkald, whose father was Fjolkald. Wind, cold, cold of the early spring, great cold. Those are our names. Now tell us this, Fjolsvid, and tell me truly. Who sits in the high seat of this fine hall? Who is its owner? Her name is Menglad of the Necklaces, and her father was Svafrthorn's son, said the giant. She sits in the high seat of this handsome hall. She is its owner, Svipdog said. Now tell me this, Fjolsvid, and tell me truly. What's the gate called? It's even more unyielding than anything in Asgard. It's called Clanging Thrimbjol, said the giant. 
and it was made by the three sons of the sun-blinded dwarf Solblindi. Whoever touches the latch is at once trapped by it, Svipdog said. Now tell me this, Fjolsvid. What's the name of the building? It's even more massive than anything in Asgard. Its name is Gastropnir, the guest crusher, the giant said, and he smiled grimly. I made it myself a long time ago from the limbs of the clay giant Lyrabremir, and I braced it so firmly inside and out that it will stand for as long as the world lasts. Now tell me this, Fjolsvid, said Svipdog. What is the tree called that spreads its limbs over all the worlds? It's called Mimir's tree, Yggdrasil, the giant replied. No man alive has seen all its roots, and few can guess what will fell it, for neither axe nor fire will be its downfall. Tell us this then, Fjolsvid, Svipdog said. What issues from the seed of this mighty tree that neither axe nor fire will fell? Women in childbirth cook the fruit, said the giant. Then the hidden child is delivered safely. That's why people esteem it. What's the cock called, Svipdog said, that sits on the topmost bough adorned with gleaming gold? He's called the tree snake. Vidofnir, answered Fjolsvid. He illuminates Yggdrasil's limbs like lightning, and he brings nothing but sorrow to Surt and his wife, Sinmora. Tell me this then, Fjolsvid. What are the hounds called that prowl and snarl in front of the stronghold? To tell the truth, said the giant, they are Gif and Giri. They're huge already and will grow more huge before Ragnarok. Can no one hope to get inside this stronghold, Svipt asked, while these ravenous hounds are asleep? They never sleep at the same time, said the giant. That is why they were made Hall Wardens. One sleeps by night, the other by day. And so no one can pass unseen into the stronghold. Is there no meat a man can throw to them, said Svipdog, and dart in while they're wolfing it down? To tell the truth, said Fjolsvid, the cock, Vidofnir, has two wings. That alone is the meat a man can throw to them and dart in while they're wolfing it down. What's the weapon with which to dispatch Vidofnir to the house of hell, Svipdog asked. That's the sword Levaten, the wounding wand, said the giant. Loki made it. He forged it with runes at the gates of Niflheim. It lies in Legjarn's chest, guarded by nine locks, and Sinmora watches over it. Can a man hope to steal that sword and get away unscathed? asked Svipdag. A man can hope to steal that sword, Fjolsvid replied, if he takes what few can win as a gift for Sinmora. What is the treasure a man should take to delight that gaunt giantess, Svipdog demanded. In your pouch, said the giant, take Vidofnir's tail feather. Give it to Sinmora and she'll give you Levatin in return. What's the name of this hall girdled in flickering magic flames, asked Svipdog. It's called Lear, the holder of heat, Fjolsvid replied. It will always quiver and shimmer like a spear point. All men know of this noble hall, and no hall more noble than this. Which of the gods fashioned this great hall that I see within the stronghold, said Svipdog? It was Loki, said the giant, the fear of the folk, 
and he was helped by the dwarves Uni and Eri, Bari and Yari, Var and Vegdrasil, Dori and Ori, and Deling. Then Svipdog asked, What's the mountain called on which that lovely woman is reclining? It's called Lifeyaberg, the Hill of Healing, replied Fjolsvid. And it will always be a source of comfort to the sick and the suffering. Any woman who climbs it will be cured, even if she has long been confined to her bed. Who are the maidens smiling and sitting at Manglad's knees? asked Svipdog. One is called Lif, the helper, said the giant. Then there are Lifthrasa and Theodvara, and Shining Bjort and Bleak the White, Blid and Frid, Kindly Ear and the gold-giving Arboda. Now tell me this, Fjolsvid, said Svipdog. Do they help all those that make offerings and truly need succor? They soon help all those who make offerings on the high altars, said the giant. And if they see someone is in danger, they will guard him. Svipdog said, Now tell me this, Fjolsvid, and tell me truly. Is there any man who can hope to sleep in the arms of the fair Mendlad? No man but one, said the giant, can hope to sleep in the arms of fair Menglad, and that man is Svipdag. That woman who shines like the sun is destined to be his bride. Throw back the gates, cried the wanderer. Open a wide gateway. I am none other than Svipdag. He looked at Fjolsvid, elated. Hurry to Menglad and ask her to grant me my heart's desire. The giant made his way up the green slope behind the stronghold and reached Menglad and her maidservants. Listen, he said, a man has arrived at the stronghold who you must come and see for yourself. The hounds are fawning on him, and the great gates burst open of their own accord. I think this man is Svipdag. Menglad looked at Fjolsvid, and her heart beat as if it would burst out of her. She said in a low voice, If you're lying when you say that this hero has come to my hall at last, her voice hardened. It will not be long before greedy ravens peck out your eyes while you swing from the gallows tree. Menglad and her maidens and the giant Fjolsvid picked their way down the slope and crossed the stronghold to the main gateway. Menglad at once faced the wanderer. Anxiously, she asked, Where have you come from? How did you get here? What do your kinsmen call you? I must know your name, your ancestry, before I can be sure if I am to be your bride. I am Svipdag, the son of Sunbright Solbjart, and I followed cold wooden ways to this place. No man can deny Urd, even though her gifts are unearned. Menglad opened her arms. Svipdag, she said, you are welcome here. I've waited so long for you. The kiss of welcome is yours, Svipdag. Then she moved slowly toward the traveler, and she asked, is there any greater sweetness than the long-awaited meeting between lover and loved one? Svipdog stretched out his arms towards Mengled. Mengled said, Day after day I've sat on the hill of healing, waiting for you, and now I have what I've always dreamed of. Mengled and Svipdog stepped toward each other and touched, and Mengled said, We've yearned alike. I longed for you, and you have longed for my love. But now, and from now on, we know we will live to the end of our lives together. Thor and Girod Lend me your falcon skin, Loki said. 
Frigg smiled and nodded. Then her maidservant, Fula, fetched the feather coat and draped it over Loki's shoulders. That's the trouble, said Loki, leering at Frigg and then at Fula. These things so easily won, barely worth winning. With that, he tied on the skin and flew round Fensalir and out of the door. The Sky Traveler was bored with a string of days in Asgard that unwound without a knot or a twist in them. He headed for Jotunheim, and sometime after he had crossed the Iving came to a circle of green fields that he had never seen before. They were enclosed by a jumble of silver and gray rock that stretched for as far as the eye could see. A hall stood there, and Loki swooped and settled on a window ledge. The Sky Traveler peered in and saw a giant and his two daughters feasting in that hall. The giant, Girod, peered out and saw a handsome hawk sitting on the window ledge. Catch that bird, said the giant. Bring it to me. Loki's eyes gleamed, and when one of Girod's servants came out of the hall, he hopped up to the top of the wall, just out of his reach. Girod's servant got a foothold on the window ledge and stretched out a hand to snare the hawk, but the Sky Traveler had no intention of allowing himself to be caught. He hopped up the side of the roof until he stood at the top, near the chimney hole, and he gave a mocking screech. He saw no point in flying off until he had forced the giant servant to climb onto the steep roof where there were no handholds and risk his life. Once again, the servant reached out and Loki thought it was time to take to the air. He spread his wings. He stood poised. But then, to his dismay, Loki found that he was unable to move. His two feet were fixed to the thatch like branches to the trunk of a tree, and Loki knew what kind of a giant it was that he had to deal with. So the servant grabbed the hawk and brought him in to his master, Girod. I'll put jesses on him, Girod boomed. I'll feed him in his fetters, offer him mere morsels until he's trained to my hand. The servant put the hawk into the giant's cupped hands, and Girod grasped it and looked at it. Loki's eyes were red and green and subtle. This is no hawk, said Girod to his daughters, Gjalp and Gripe. This is some being in disguise. Look at his eyes. The giant squeezed the bird in his horny hand. Who are you? he demanded. Loki said nothing. Girod squeezed again until Loki felt that he had been molded into one solid mass. He gasped and screeched, but still he said nothing. Hunger opens the mouth, said Girod, getting up from his seat and striding across the hall. He unlocked a huge chest, thrust the hawk into it, slammed down the lid, and locked it again. For three months, Loki sat in darkness. He had nothing to eat. He fouled his own nest. He breathed stale air. He began to feel extremely sorry for himself. And he became so weak from hunger that he could not call out loudly enough to make himself heard. Or else if they did hear him, Girod and his daughters chose to ignore him. At the end of three months, Girod opened the chest and pulled out the hawk. Long enough, was all he said. The hawk blinked and looked around. Not long enough, said Girod. Loki, said the hawk. Ah, exclaimed Girod. He took an even firmer grip on his victim. Loki, he repeated and smiled. The sky traveler looked longingly towards the hall door but the giant had much too firm a hold on him for any chance of escape. Well, Loki, said the giant, do 
you want to live any longer? Loki listened. We can make this bargain, said Girod. If you swear an oath that you will bring Thor to this hall without his hammer or his belt of strength, I'll spare your life. When Loki said nothing, Girod began the terrible squeezing again, and it was plain that he did not mean to stop. So Loki saw that he had no choice but to agree. He swore to bring Thor to Girod's hall. Then Girod let Loki eat as much as he wanted. The Sky Traveler scowled at Girod and Gyalp and Gripe spread his wings, and flew home to Asgard. Thor and Loki had a great liking for each other's company and often traveled together through the Nine Worlds. Once they were walking through the rocky uplands to the east of Asgard, and trusting as he was, Thor suspected nothing when Loki said they need travel only a little further across green meadows springy underfoot to visit the giant Girod. Thor said he had never heard of Girod. He's rather ugly, said Loki, but he has two attractive daughters. He'd like to meet you, and you'd like to meet them. Thor puckered his mouth, wishing he had brought his hammer Mjolnir and his girdle of strength in case things did not turn out too well. What's more, said Loki, we can stay with Greed tonight. Her door is always open. Thor liked the sound of that. Odin went in through it. Vidar came out through it, said Loki gleefully, raising his eyebrows. Thor kept walking, and before nightfall the two of them crossed the river Iving, and Greed welcomed them into her hall. Not long after supper, Loki spread out some straw and fell asleep. In the flickering firelight, his expression seemed to change from moment to moment, light and dark, gay and grim. Now that Loki is asleep, said Greed, let me tell you the truth about Girod. Thor looked at the giantess drunkenly. "'Listen,' said Grid. "'Girod has little love for the gods, "'and even less for the god who killed Hrungnir. "'But that was me!' exclaimed Thor. "'That's what I'm saying,' said Grid sharply. "'Listen, Girod is as cunning as a fox. "'He'll be a worthy enemy even for you. "'He will let you walk into his hall "'and arrange for you to be carried out of it.' "'Thor wished the ale mist would clear from his head.' He kept screwing up his eyes, then opening them wide and rolling them round and round. Go if you must, said Grid, but go well armed. I'll lend you my own weapons. Then the giantess gave Thor her belt of strength, her iron gloves, and unbreakable staff. Thor thanked her and fell asleep. The next morning, Thor and Loki left Grid's hall and continued their journey. Loki looked at Thor's weapons and wondered what Grid had said to him after he had fallen asleep. Thor looked at Loki and wondered how much he knew about Girod. After a while, the two gods came to the Vimur, a wild torrent of water and menstrual blood. The face of the river was broken by torn rocks and grazed by more rock just under the surface. It frothed and hissed as it hurried downstream. Thor secured the belt of strength and told Loki to hang on to it. Then he grasped a green staff and, putting his weight on it, began to wade across the river. The pebbles were slippery underfoot, dogfish tickled his ankles, and Thor was soon in up to his waist. Loki's head was only just above the surface. By the time the two gods were midstream, Loki had his arms round Thor's neck. The river was breaking over Thor's shoulders and seemed to be rising all the time. 
Thor cursed and shouted at the river, You cannot stop me on my way to the giants. However high you rise, I'll rise higher. I'll rise as high as heaven. Thor paused to regain his breath and looked upstream into a rocky ravine. And there he saw the cause of their hardship. Girod's daughter, Gjalp, was standing astride the torrent, and blood was streaming from her, increasing the depth of the river. Aha! shouted Thor. He stooped, ducked, and gouged a rock from the riverbed. A river must be damned at its source, he called, and with huge strength he hurled the hunk of rock at Gjalp. He aimed well. Gjalp was maimed. She howled and dragged herself back to her father's hall. At that moment, the power of the torrent was so great that Thor was swept off his feet, with Loki still clinging to his neck. As he was carried downstream, he grabbed a hold of a rowan tree growing in the river, and it held firm in the river bed. Thor recovered his footing, and from there he was able to make his way into the shallows, and so at last onto the far bank. That rowan tree saved our lives, said Thor. After a while, the two gods went on their way and late in the afternoon they reached Girod's hall. Girod himself was nowhere about, but their arrival was clearly expected, for a giant servant welcomed them, and offered to show them where they would be sleeping. Thor and Loki readily accepted. They were tired and caked with mud and blood after their journey. Then the servant led the gods through the outhouses to a gloomy, rank goat shed. It was furnished with a heap of rotten straw and a single chair, Thor bristled at such an insult. Nevertheless, he said nothing. He thought he would bide his time until he came face to face with Girod himself. Loki took himself off to wash in the stream that ran past Girod's hall, and Thor sat down in the chair. He clenched his fist around Grin's staff, and then he yawned. His fatigue got the better of his anger, and he began to drowse. When Thor closed his eyes, it was not long before he imagined he was crossing the river Vimur again, losing his foothold, flailing in the bloody water, floating. Thor opened his eyes and at once saw the reason for his dream. He was indeed floating once more. He was rising in his chair towards the rafters of the goat shed and was close to being driven against them head first. Thor gripped Grid's staff with both hands. He raised it and rammed it against the roof tree and pushed with all of his strength thrust so hard that whatever was beneath him hoisting him toward the roof could not resist him and gave way. Thor fell back to the ground with a great crash, and screams shook the shed. Gjalp and Gripe, Girod's two daughters, had been hiding under the chair when Thor first sat in it and tried to crush him to death. They themselves suffered the fate that they had planned for the Thunder God. Thor's massive weight was more than their bone chambers could withstand. Their rib cages were smashed, their backs were broken, and they died in agony. It was not long before Loki returned from the stream, and shortly after the giant servant stood outside the shed and shouted that Girod was waiting for Thor in the hall. He has it in mind to challenge you to a game or two, he said. Thor needed no further warning. He put on Green's belt of strength and iron gauntlets, and then he and Loki made their way back through the outhouses to Girod's hall. Thor was surprised to see that in place of the usual single fires, there was a string of huge furnaces right down the length of the hall. The turf walls glowed, and lofty as it was, the room was rather too warm for comfort. Girod was waiting for his guests at the far end of the hall. As soon as one of his servants had closed the door behind the gods, Girod stepped forward with his hand outstretched. 
This was not to greet Thor. It was to pick up a pair of tongs. Hero gripped a large ball of red-hot iron between the tongs. Welcome, he shouted and aimed the ball straight at Thor. Thor saw it coming. He dropped his staff, raised both hands, and caught the red-hot ball in his iron gloves. He did not move. His eyes flamed, his red beard bristled. Everyone in the hall scrambled under the tables, and Giroud himself quickly stepped back behind one of the hall supports, an iron pillar. Then Thor raised his right hand. The ball had begun to smoke. He took one step forward and put all of his strength into hurling it down the hall. The ball punched a hole through the iron support, then it passed through the giant Giroud's midriff. It punctured the end wall and lodged in the earth's slope outside. Giroud fell backwards. He hissed as if all the venom bottled inside him were escaping. Then suddenly he gave a violent jerk, gurgled, and was dead. Then Thor picked up Green's staff and began to lay about him. While Loki took the chance of slipping out of the hall unnoticed, the Thunder Gods smashed the skulls of all the dolts who had waited on Giroud and his daughters. That was that. Thor strode out of the silent hall and looked at the jumble of rocks around him. He thought he remembered words about green meadows springy underfoot and talk of two attractive daughters. Thor shook his head and vowed to settle the score with two-faced Loki. The Lay of Lord Fafnir In a farmhouse in Midgard, a gathering of men and women whiled away a winter evening. They talked and drank, they sewed and gossiped and sang. Then one of their number got up from his place and stepped over to the flickering fire. "'It's time I took the chanter's stool,' Lord Fafnir said. "'I've stood and stared into the well of Urd.' stared in silence, wondered and pondered. For a long while I listened at the door of the High One's Hall, and inside the High One's Hall, this is what I heard. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. My advice will help you if you heed it. You will prosper if you set proper store by it. Never get up at night except to guard your house or relieve yourself in the outhouse. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. My advice will help you if you heed it. You will prosper if you set proper store by it. Never succumb to a witch's sweet words and soft snaring embraces. She'll cast a spell and you'll lose all delight in meetings and friendship with other men. You'll hate the sight of meat. Every sweetness will be sour and you'll take to your bed, bowed down with sorrow. Listen. Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. My advice will help you if you heed it. Never try to seduce another man's wife or hope to come to secret understandings with her. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. If you have to cross mountains or fjords, make quite sure you take enough food. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Never trust an evil man when you're out of luck. The evil man receives good and pays out evil. I saw a man mortally wounded by an evil woman's words. Her flickering tongue was the cause of his death, and yet it spoke not one true word. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. If you want a friend whom you can wholly trust, 
foster his friendship. Brambles and waving grass quickly grow on a little trodden road. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Find a wise man for your friend, and take note of his charms for healing. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Never be the first to strain and break the bonds of a friendship. If you cannot tell another man your thoughts, anxiety will begin to eat at your heart. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Never waste time on a witless ape. An evil man never gives as much as he gets, whereas a good man will win you great respect by singing your praises. When one man can open his heart to another, that is true friendship. Nothing is worse than a liar, and no true friend tells you only what you want to hear. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Three angry words are three too many have spoken to a bad man. And the better man often comes off worse when a bad man's sword starts talking. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Only make those shoes and spear shafts you mean to use yourself. If a shoe fits badly or a shaft snaps, men will abuse you. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. If you know of some evil, ensure everyone knows all about it and do not make peace with your enemies. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. To do evil brings no lasting pleasure. To do good will make you glad. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Don't raise your eyes when battle is raging and the sons of men are filled with frenzy. Otherwise, warriors may use spells to snare you. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. If you want to win a woman's love and enjoy her favors, make her a fair promise and then stick to it. Nobody loathes what rewards he gets. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. I tell you to be cautious, but not fearful. Above all, beware of ale, another man's wife, and a thief's sharp wits. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Never mock a guest or deride a traveler. As often as not, a man who sits in his own house knows next to nothing about a guest. There's no one so perfect that he has no shortcomings, no one so wicked that he counts for nothing. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Don't despise the gray-haired singer, for the old are often wise. Though they hang with the hides and flap with the pelts and rock with the guts and the wind, Shriveled skins frequently offer good advice. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. Don't abuse your guest or show him the door. Be generous to a needy man. But the beam that is raised to admit every guest would have to be a strong one. Put a ring over it, or your own open house will bring you to a bad end. Listen, Lord Fafnir, and listen carefully. When you're drinking ale, offset it with the power of earth. As earth cures ale, fire cures sicknesses, and oak cures constipation. Use the ear of corn against witchcraft, rye against rupture, the moon against hatred, grass against the scab, and runes against a sword wound. Earth absorbs floods of water. Now the High One has spoken in the hall. Words for the good of the sons of men, accursed words for the sons of giants. Hail to the speaker and him who listens. May whoever learns them prosper because of them. 
Hail to all who listen.